we should just do it for luck. This is Lucky to Lead. That was so good. Okay. Just drop your best one. Welcome to Lucky to Lead. You're talking shit about me? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Lucky Lucky to Lead. Lead. All right, boom. We are back, gentlemen. Um, Dave, what number are we on? Uh, is this 12 or 13? I think this is, uh, this is a dozen. A dozen. I like it. And then we got a little bit of a break. Uh, I'm jealous you are, uh, going a little hiatus, uh, in the next uh, week or so. So that's right. Nice conversation about how jealous my wife and I are of you and your wife being, having no kids. So, um, that's nice. Listen, I will tell you, uh, earned, not given. I'm excited for this beach time. (laughs) Um, True story. Uh, the best way to kick off a little vacation is uh, is a badass guest. So, do you want to introduce? Yeah, him? absolutely. Uh, one of my best friends. Uh, we met at school. He was a sophomore when I was a uh, freshman, and um, played with him for uh, three years at the Naval Academy, and then uh, we kind of lived together for a while in San Diego, um, where he met his wife, and then. Uh, strangely enough, I followed him to my first, uh, coaching gig out at, uh, Newport, Rhode Island. So, um, and then we went down to Furman university, the now defunct, uh, Ooh, <laughs> uh Furman yikes. Paladins. I know. Um, but it was, uh, one of my best friends and, and certainly co- kind of my closest colleague in the coaching world, uh, who I still call when I certainly am looking for inspiration and certainly a leader that I look up to. So, uh, we welcome in John Bersner, just fresh off being hired as uh, the Culver Academy uh, head lacrosse coach. So welcome, John. Boom, big time. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. So Burz, uh, he uh, just took the job there. Um, congratulations. I know that is one of the biggest jobs in high school lacrosse. Um, uh, big time hire for you, big time position. So how are you feeling about it? I'm feeling really excited. Um, I think all things considered, it's a weird time to take a new position, but um, really, really excited. Was kind of blown away by uh, the school, uh, the community, kind of the history traditions of of the Greater Culver Academies. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of like I meet new Culver people almost every day and every week, and meet the guys on my team and kind of the greater Culver traditions. And so every time that I come across that, it's, it's, I walk away realizing that this is going to be an exciting adventure ahead. Awesome. Let's start right there. How do you, uh, how are you thinking about, you know, will your leadership style change from VMI to Culver? Well, I think, um, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, managing as a, as a leader of the program, managing this uh, transition because, you know, John Posner built this program over the last 16 years and has taken it from no one knew, knew what Culver was to, in my opinion, the best program in North America uh, at the high school prep level. And so I'm coming in to fill his shoes and, and I'm coming in to coach and lead uh, young men that I didn't, not a single kid there right now that's currently there, a returning player. I didn't recruit them. I didn't convince them to come play for me. So 
coming into that environment, um, it's, you know, it's like, well, how do I, you know, live up to the standards that the program has already, you know, established and the culture of the established. And so uh, I think that's a fun new challenge for me ahead that I'm trying to learn, you know, what Coach Posner did, what the alumni did to create this great product and come in. And first thing I said to, you know, the alumni, the uh, incoming kids and returning kids is, you know, I'm joining your program. Um, I'm here because of you guys. None of you guys are here because of me, but I chose to come to this place because of you guys. And I want to know you guys. I want to know your traditions and I want to know, you know, what makes this program special and how can I live up to those standards, not change anything, but at the same time, take your feedback and, and figure out how can we continue to make this better? That's uh, it's really interesting because you mentioned standards and, you know, coming in, do you look back? I know, cause I'm familiar with your background, but you know, going back to the Navy, when you stepped into a position in the Navy, you were given 10 guys, you probably replaced a leader that was already there. So you're stepping into a similar type of situation. Can you speak to, you know, what you're relying on and what you learned in your past in the Navy and, and your previous coaching spots that you plan to carry forward into this new role? Yeah, I feel like um, one of the strengths given, you know, my Navy background, one thing I, I learned was to, you know, and, and I'm going to do this in two different stages, but kind of take 30 days to really evaluate, ask more questions than take action, uh, talk to more people and do more um, uh, kind of fact collecting and information collecting for 30 days before you want to come in swinging. I feel like, you know, even though you think you might know everything or this is a military school and I've already been associated with three other military schools, there, there's still a lot to learn about school, the culture, individuals, you know, and, and everything in between. And so right now I'm doing that virtually. And, and so I, I do Zoom calls and phone calls with a bunch of our uh, players and our incoming guys, you know, and I've set up, you know, other uh, interactions with our alumni and just kind of trying to, you know, just more asking questions and learning before I want to come in and go, this is what we're going to do. This is what I'm going to change or this or that. And, you know, quite frankly, I'm not going to change a lot, but at the same time, I can't take action on things unless I know how it's been going so far or how it's been in the past. And I think I'll do that. You know, our kids show up mid-August in a couple of weeks from now. And I'm going to, again, take, even though we'll start practicing within a week or two of school starting, I still think I'll take those first 30 days to really just get to know everybody more than to come in first day, first meeting and go, your new coach. Uh, I feel like I'm going to, you know, want to know them first. And I've already talked to our seniors a lot. You know, like anything, I'm a big believer on, you know, player-driven leadership and ownership and a start to senior class. So to talk to the new rising seniors and let them know that it's their program and that, you know, I want to get their feedback more than anything because they've been there the longest. It will be their team this year. And what legacy do they want to you know leave? But also like, how can I learn about what our program is going to be through their lens? Oh, that's awesome, man. I think that's so cool that you're jumping in there, but you don't feel like you've got to impose your will, so to speak, on them. But really that fact checking, it's funny. I'm thinking back to 
uh, at the Air Force Academy that I thought it was really cliche and like kind of lame, but the athletic director there called it listening days when he first arrived, right? So he went to every program, kind of got a snapshot of what was going on and then put it all together. And then about six months in started to implement kind of his plan. Now, obviously that's a little bit smaller. You've got your own team, seniors, juniors, but you're kind of doing the same thing by going into the seniors, going into the junior class, bringing in some new guys as well, but you're not there imposing your will, but really listening first. And I think that's a common theme that, you know, Ronnie and I have kind of heard from our guests is that, that listening. And, you know, I'm a big believer. I think I've said it almost every single uh, podcast that we've had and every guest is like, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Um, so I think that's one thing that I've carried over and it sounds like you're kind of implementing that immediately. Yeah. Quick highlight. Um, I can't think of one person that we've talked to that hasn't talked about taking this approach of listening first. And then the other highlight is um, uh, your, the idea that you came there for them. Like the people first approach is another thing that we hear all the time. Big time. So um, ju- just pumped that like we we continue to acknowledge these similarities. But uh, anyway, didn't mean to to stop us. Um, so birds, let, let's go let's go way back, way way back. Since Dave made a point to say that you're older than him. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, when uh, who's the first leader that you saw that you found influencing? Um, yeah, great question. Um, you know, for me, uh, so I, I played a bunch of different sports in high school. Um, and so, uh, like football, basketball, wrestling, track, lacrosse really weren't good at a lot of those sports. And, and quite frankly, I was, I was very fortunate to be a part of a lot of those sports changing in my high school. And so, um, I didn't have tremendous, you know, upper class leadership. So for me, I relied on coaches a lot more. And so a lot of my high school coaches, football coach, wrestling coach, uh, lacrosse coach, gym teachers, you know, cause you know, we were, you know, public school, Long Island, where, you know, all those coaches were your gym teachers or your art teacher, you know, you saw them every day. And so I was more influenced by them. And like, I feel like as a teenage boy, kind of going through culture changes within the programs and, you know, really valuing and realizing that that was an awesome experience for me. I, I think as I was you know, nearing the end of high school, I started to realize that like, wow, like this adult, this coach had a great influence on me and my development. And I feel like that kind of planted a little seed with me early on, on, you know, Hey, a coach could be a very influential thing on an athlete. And I feel like for me, that impact always lasted. So for that first kind of leadership experience, it really wasn't a lot of guys I played with early on. Um, it wasn't until college where all of a sudden I was surrounded by a, a lot of upper class guys on my team that, you know, it's just like, it, it, it just one of those moments where you're like, it's not what he's doing or what he's saying. You just have that feeling of like, I want to play for that guy. I want, I don't want to disappoint that guy. I want to, anything he says, he has my attention and I want to do. And I feel like that progression of kind of always being on bad teams uh, throughout like my junior high and high school. And then all of a sudden getting to college and, and being around a better team and all of a sudden being like, wow, a lot of these guys are a lot more like me and they think like me and they're competitive like me. And then 
they're influencing me as older guys and I kind of want to be more like them. And so, you know, I think uh, Coach Cohen's freshman year, my sophomore year, we had a senior class of just great young men and leaders. And so I think every single one of those guys in that senior class really influenced us a lot and kind of changed us all forever. Shout out to being, I think, our first person who uh, thought back to their first leader as a pe- someone who was a peer. I think we always get the coach or, or the parents. Yeah. Love yeah. that. Um, Burrs, I, I, I'm thinking, I'm like kind of so thinking about kind of where you've been and how I've kind of been a part of that. Um, I'm going to share one story and then I'm going to ask a question, right? And I think one of the things that speaks to John the most, um, so our listeners can understand, was uh, I will never forget, and I still have the letter, and you probably know where I'm going with this, but um, it was at uh, Furman, um, and I was, wasn't getting paid anything, and uh, I was there kind of working for free, and we had just started the program, so we were working our ass off, and we had our first prospect day. And I think I shared this with Ronnie at some point, but I'll never forget this because this is the way you treat people and you take care of your people. Um, We had a prospect day. We all got paid the same amount of money and you gave me your check for that prospect day because you knew I wasn't making any money. So for me, I wanted to share that with our listeners because that's the type of person you are and that's the type of leader you are. Um, so that's just something that I wanted to touch on because I felt like more people need to know that story because I think that's something behind the scenes for you that I know I look up to in you. Um, so that's just me getting on my soapbox a bit. So I still appreciate that and still have the letter and I'm going to pay you back at some point in, in our <laughs> life, lifetime. Um, and then, uh, so knowing your background, right? Knowing that you went to Furman and went to, went to, uh, VMI as a head coach, um, I know that a lot of people look at coaches, their worth or their kind of success is measured in wins and losses. Um, now, coming from both of those places, because I was a part of those, um, not VMI, but certainly a Furman, uh, those wins and losses didn't turn out your way, right? Your record doesn't reflect what you've done behind the scenes and how you built that program. Now, for anyone who knows the sport of lacrosse, VMI is way better from when you got there um, to now. Uh, and that, but that might not show in the record. How has that affected you in kind of your focus on the process a bit? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> and it's, mentally totally like taxing for you to not yeah. get that payoff. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's changed a lot, actually. It really has. So if you would have asked me this question, like even six, seven years ago, you know, I've, very honest. I mean, I've gone through a seven year period where, you know, I've lost more than almost anybody. Um, and so, you know, when you're looking at that and, and quite fr- frankly, when I went through the process here at Culver, you know, that was brought up a lot. And now granted, you know, uh, luckily um, everybody that's seen what kind of we did at Culver from uh, sorry, at, at Furman from nothing to, you know, them winning the SOCON with my recruits and, and, and stuff that I was able to establish. And then, you know, VMI from being like winless team to, you know, being the best team we've had it there in like 12, 15 years. And anybody that played my teams were able to come to bat for me and, and, and see what I changed. But the win loss thing really did 
um, changed my perspective a lot. It wasn't until about, you know, year, I would say about year three at VMI. And some of those guys I brought in in that third class, you know, some, and some of the guys that are being rising seniors coming up next year are really good players. And, you know, actually one of them, Ryan Parati from, from Houston, Texas. And I remember Ryan, um, and some guys in his class, you know, coming in as freshmen, just kind of naive kids. And, you know, we are, we were what our record was. We barely won any games. And, you know, they were just saying like, you know, I want to win, I want to win, I want to win. And, you know, very honestly, like, you know, I kind of wanted to say like, Hey, we're going to lose a lot, you know, unfortunately before we start winning. And so like, and even my first couple of years, like everyone was so wrapped around the word winning and yes, like, I feel like I'm one of the most competitive people in the room, no matter what room I'm in. And, you know, winning and losing really shapes me in athletics as a coach, a player, a fan, but they were so wrapped around this word winning that I felt like it got so away from what winning was or what success was. And, and I try, I struggled with, you know, breaking it down about like, you know, moral victories, because I've never been about that. And I really am still not about that. But it was more about like, breaking down the process. And I feel like we really that year, and then the fourth year, and then this past year, we actually gained the most success our programs had in 12, 15 years, by going away from and not caring about winning, while also maintaining the highest level of like competition that we can. And I feel like that has been, I think, my success at VMI is changing our culture, not being wrapped around the final score, but being wrapped around the process to get to a better game. And yeah, there are moral victories along the way. I mean, this past spring, a couple of months ago, you know, we had a one goal game against Lehigh, finished like 17 in the country. And, you know, we tried to find moments where it's like, what got us to here? Well, it got us on like we were the only game in the country that night and like my phone blew up that night and the next day of people going like, holy cow, you guys can like hang with anybody right now. And, and you guys, everyone thought we're the worst team in the country and you guys can really hang. And quite honestly, as a coach, that was one of the most fun two hours I've ever had was losing Lehigh by two. And in a game we were winning most of the game and you know, they came back on us, but watching our guys have fun on the highest level of our sport, division one under the lights against a ranked team and going toe to toe and watching another team be shocked or surprised or taken back or punched in the face. And just watching our guys realize that moment of like, Hey, we can hang because of we stopped worrying about winning or losing. And we started worrying way more about the process and it took a while to get there, but man, that was the most rewarding experience I had at VMI. Not just this past couple of months, because last year when we won four games and then this fall when we beat WNL, like those guys realizing it wasn't those 60 minutes of winning or losing. It was what we did two summers ago to get ready for the fall, what we did in the off season, what we did in the weight room, what we fixed in our culture, how we practiced differently, how we treated drills and practice like winning or losing and how those little moments added up to like, all right, it doesn't care if we're down by three or it doesn't care 
what the end score is going to be. I'm going to give my greatest effort in this game because that's the only thing that matters right now. If I walk away doing that, yeah, I want to win, but I'm not going to be pissed and disappointed that we didn't win that game. I'll be more disappointed that if I didn't give my best effort or if our team didn't make our mark in that game. And like, that is what really is changing our culture from our guys. I mean, our, our current rising seniors and, and sophomores and last year's or his current past year's graduating class, those guys has finally embraced that. And it took a, a while for that, but that mentality for the players to own that made the biggest difference. And now, you know, the biggest thing, like, you know, everyone has that COVID uh, feeling of losing their season, you know, losing a Lehigh by two, losing a Mount St. Mary's by one, you know, I felt like those moments really would have spiked us for the rest of the spring season, especially in the SOCOM, because, you know, we got a taste of winning last spring, taste of winning this fall over WNL, you know, first time we had beaten them in over a decade. And then those close games, like our guys have, you know, kind of arrived and now they sniffed. This is fun. It's actually fun being in a really competitive game. And that's what they're striving for more than, oh, we didn't win, like, you know, scoreboard. It's more of like, hey, it's fun to be in these games. And what's fun? You know, fun is competing really hard. Fun is selling out. Fun is being a good teammate. And so watching them learn those lessons along the way has been the most rewarding thing. Man, we talk so much about leadership being art and not science. And and there's so much art in what you're what you're talking about because, yeah, like, at the end of the day, you, you'd like to win some games, and it's, it's going to be nice to have that success as an outcome. But when you're focusing inward on the journey, um, there has to be some decisions made across the journey. Okay, so if, if I'm going to focus on the journey because I don't care about the outcomes right now because I know that'll come, how do you dictate as the leader, you know, where I'm going to hold somebody accountable or where I'm going to push them or where I'm going to expect more? Uh, because that's when, to me, that's when you toe the line a little, right? Since I'm saying I don't care about winning, but I'm also telling you, like, don't throw the ball away with 30 seconds left, right? So, you know, to me, there's that there's that art in there. So I want to talk a little bit from – I want to hear a little bit from you on, you know, how do you dictate on an individual-by-individual basis um, where, to, where to impact and use your art uh, of leadership? Yeah, I feel like – Part of our journey, especially at VMI, um, that I try to, you know, bring to light about how to get to this mindset of an elite athlete that I, we've gotten to is we had a lot of moments my first couple of years where all of a sudden, like, we, we started to get better. We started to get, you know, better skilled, um, better schemes, you know, impaired and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, we get into these games where, you know, we kind of, we start off semi-strong, go down really hard for the next 50 minutes. And all of a sudden, the last five to eight minutes of the game, everybody's playing their best game. Everyone's, you know, just sprinting around and shooting hard with confidence. And all of a sudden, we look like a good team for the last, like, five or six minutes. And it's not necessarily, like, the biggest thing I tried to highlight in those process, like, it's like, hey, like, you did some of these moments before, like, the other team emptied their bench or whatever. And so trying to show them that, like, it took you 50 minutes, 55 minutes 
to all of a sudden have this confidence to want to take a chance you know, and, and it's, and, and to want to, you know, be successful. It's like all of a sudden when the game was out of reach, you all of a sudden had all this competitive confidence to you know, want the ball in your stick and want to make a play and take a chance. And so kind of going back to like what to tell them and, and kind of how to place them in a situation to, you know, lacrosse wise, take care of the ball and defend the ball and do all these things within their position. It was, it goes back to that mentality of like, you've got to be confident in yourself and in your teammates to want to make a play at any given moment and to be confident that if you do, it's going to come with risk. It's going to come with taking a chance. And so that moment's not going to show up on game day. You know, that comes with trust of your teammates, trust of your coaches, trust in yourself. And it's like, you know, you got to the journey to get to that game day through practice, through off the field stuff with yourself, your teammates and your coach, it, that mentality really starts every day up until that game. And so I think, you know, that category of getting that confidence in that kid so that when you're having that conversation with them of like, yeah, we need to do this in order to win and not just like, hey, we're down by 10 and you go to the cage thinking you can score 10 goals. It's like, well, hey, where was that confidence in the first quarter when you were very, a lot more hesitant and turned the ball over or threw the ball away? It's like, no, you know, it's in there. Have that confidence in yourself, you know, or grab your leaders and, or grab that person who should be a leader and be like, hey, you can make this play. Let's practice it in practice. Let's make mistakes in practice. Let's correct them so that you go into this game knowing you can put the team on your back or someone can rely on you. Love that. I love, love that. Um, we talk a lot, John, about um, certain things. You know, we talk a lot and focus in on, you know, you as a great leader and or, you know, the great leaders that you've been a part of. But one of the things that we found that we like to talk about a lot is we learn a lot from the poor leaders that we've been around. You don't have to name names, um, but can you uh, share with us maybe something that you learned from a poor leader at some point or someone who you don't want to be like, um, whether going back to your Navy days or playing days or, you know, coaching days, or, you know, any of those poor leaders that you've seen and what, what you don't want to do and how you've implemented that? Yeah, I mean, I was kind of very thankful to come from a, you know, high school program that when I was in like eighth, ninth and 10th grade didn't have good programs. And then, you know, football, lacrosse, and we had a good wrestling team. Um, so actually a lot of upper class in my wrestling program and wrestling was my worst sport. So some of the guys that I was surrounded by that were the best leaders and most successful was a sport that I was very vulnerable in and sucked at and, you know, <laughs> didn't have a, had a love hate relationship. So uh, I certainly, recommend for guys to maybe get out of their comfort zone and play a sport they're not good at because man it will make you very vulnerable very quick and so very thankful for that experience um but yeah I feel like you know to a very long-winded bigger picture answer for your question is like you really just got to take stock in the way people influence you or make you feel and so what I mean by that is, you know, everyone over talks about the word leadership and all this stuff. And I think 
the schools and programs I've been associated with are some of the greatest leadership institutions in the country. And I hate the word leadership because so many people try to put a definition to it and put a script to it and put a book to it. And at the end of the day, the biggest thing I try to tell kids from my experience as a player and coach is, you know, bad leadership is someone that doesn't motivate you and you don't want to follow. And you, you realize those things as an athlete growing up that like, you know, I'm not excited to play for this person, this upper class person on my team or this coach for X, Y, and Z and there's different reasons, but ultimately to, to take stock in why you didn't want to play for that person or why that person says one thing and does another, or, you know, is selfish or at the end of the day, like never asked me what I thought or never showed that they cared about me. And that can come many different ways. And I feel like as an underclassman, take stock in a, in a upperclassman to ask you, how's your day going? How are you doing? You know, like, you know, how's your family doing? Or any little type of conversation I feel like is an undervalued uh, interaction that, can be more of a leader than any other moment. And then at the same time, like going back to the leadership definition, you know, you see these kids that try to be a rah-rah guy, but they're not, or try to be the motivational speaker or try to be the guy who's overly trying to plan everything and give direction. At the end of the day, you got to look at your team and go, you know, when someone who in this room, when they talk, they got the room everybody turns and listens to that guy and cause there's your leader or that's one of your leaders. And then you got to figure out like, well, is that a guy who wants to do that every day? Is that a, is that a guy who wants to do that once a week, once a month? It doesn't matter. It might, it might be the guy that only does it once or twice a year because he, he's introverted. That's not his style. But like if he talks and he's got the room, then he's more of a leader than maybe one of your captains because maybe one of your captains is the guy who wants to do that every day. And maybe he's good at it, but the team's got to recognize. And even that captain has to recognize that when Mike over there talks, the room listens. And so like, you know, trying to figure out like those balances because like that's leadership. If, if you talk and no one listens, then every little moment you had up until that moment when you wanted to talk, created that moment where the guys didn't want to listen because you didn't care. You didn't ask about them. You didn't do a little thing. You didn't, you didn't show that you were all in or whatever, but at the same time, like recognizing like, Ooh, you know, Mike hasn't spoken up in two years. He just spoke up and owned the room and now we're better because of it. How do we tap into that more? Because, you know, leadership comes in all shapes, sizes, and you got to figure out what works for you. And before you do that, you got to figure out like, Hey, if I talk, (laughs) are people going to listen or think I'm full of it? Yeah, no, I love that. I think the three things that I pulled from that were you got to be vulnerable as a leader. And I love that, that idea of putting yourself in a sport that you suck at (laughs) because that'll really, uh, whether it's basketball. Wrestling taught me everything about athletics for the rest of my life. Guys, that was lacrosse for me. I joined (laughs) lacrossing and I was garbage, but I figured life out. Yeah. And uh, knowing your people and caring and then being genuine as a leader, like knowing who you are so that you can best influence those around you. I think those are awesome, awesome messages. Um, yeah. Burrs, uh, you know, one of the things that we, we like to do, and this is like 
uh, unbelievable timing because we're running up on time and that was an awesome answer to that question. So I want to wrap us up with um, you think of leadership pretty differently than I think what the uh, cover of the book answer is, right? Uh, there's no formula. There's no, you know, it's not just like guy who's willing to open his mouth the most. Um, where do you find influence? Like what is there, are there books that maybe you look to or podcasts that you listen to or people that you just watch the way they operate? Uh, where are you finding your inspiration as a leader to continue to grow? So I wish that I could tell you that uh, I read more because I need to get into that. And I think I'm, I'm actually challenging myself uh, this upcoming year to, to read more um, and to do kind of more podcasts and, and all that. Um, I would say that like, you know, when I first got into coaching, you know, kind of diving in on all things like Coach Wooden and stuff like that. And, and I do love his stuff and, and some other kind of cliche coaching things. You know, anything by Lou Holtz I got really into um, when I first got into coaching and I think has been a big influence on me. He's got a couple of books um, uh, that I, I recommend. Anything by Lou Holtz I think is great just because I think he's a genuine good person and, and, a, and a really kind of a player's coach. Um, I certainly got to give the plug to, you know, Coach Cohn's background, you know, Joe Ehrman, uh, in, inside Out Coaching, I believe, is, is the book. My people, yep. By far one of the greatest things I've ever read, and I really probably need to reread it because it's just, it's so, it it's, it's, should be the first book every coach reads, in, in my opinion. Um, I would say right now what I think I do a good job on and trying to, like, stay sharp is, you know, I'm a big Twitter guy. And so um, – I think, you know, it's kind of funny. I've had a lot of young coaches recently and I feel like Twitter is skipping a generation, um, especially in the sport of lacrosse. So I feel like uh, younger kind of high school, college and, and early 20s kids don't do Twitter anymore. And I think Twitter is one of the greatest tools for any coach to have because you can, you know, first off, you can filter. I think it's the greatest social media because you can filter things that you like and things that you don't like. But as a coach, you know, you start, you know, following other coaches and you start seeing what they retweet. And all of a sudden, you know, like, I mean, just every day, I mean, coming, coming across more coaches. And the best part is you come across coaches of different sports and different genres and different, like, just, just all walks of life that, you know, I know for me, the, like the three colleges I've been to, I immediately follow their football coaches, their basketball coaches, their volleyball coaches, and like, and then follow who they are influenced by. And so I love Twitter in that sense that every time I'm on there, you know, screen out the recruiting stuff, screen out the, the politics stuff. When it gets to the coaching leadership stuff, man, like the tools there, links, articles, you know, other coaches, um, uh, leadership platforms. Um, I'm walking away every week learning something better. Now, I wish I had more books and podcasts for you and I apologize, but um, uh, I certainly think there's, you know, branching out to other coaches out of your sport as a coach, probably one of the best things you can do. Um, I will say one of the best, actually, you know what, I'll plug, um, there's a guy named Dan Steele. I think it's S-T-E-E-L-E. He's like a high school principal or middle school principal. He's one of my favorite follows. Because what he talks about is the influence of a teacher or educator on a kid. 
and he's got great links and I'll send it to you guys. So you can put it on there. I came across it from a coach or from a teacher that I followed. And he, he just, you know, what he talks about is like, it's crazy. The little thing you can do in a middle school, high school, a college kid's life that you're going to make his day better because maybe you started the day asking how he was doing, or you confronted him in a hallway and maybe realized he was having a bad day and just ask him how he was doing. Or you remembered that he liked something and you talked about it with him. And he brings up those points in articles all the time and how, or even asks kids like, who's your favorite teacher and why? And most of the times the answer is like a middle school or high school age kid who goes, the teacher cares about me. And so like those constant influences every day on a platform like Twitter from his account is some of the biggest takeaways I get. That is awesome. And so 2020 of you, uh, and I'm <laughs> fired up. So a uh, good moment just to say um, you, uh, I think you just inspired us. And uh, maybe we'll release a, a list of books that uh, people that we've had on the podcast have, have said they use. We'll do a little nice. book list. We'll make I it like easy that. on you, Burst. If you, like you to start it. And we just started a Twitter. So you can follow us on Twitter. Love it. Nice. Uh, all right, Dave. What do we got? Awesome. Brother? Yeah, that was great. Uh, Burrs, appreciate your time. As always, uh, it's great to catch up. Best of luck in your new endeavor at Culver. And uh, thanks for being a part of our, uh, our show. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it so much.